This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're in Nashville. Really, for the final time, we'll be back Monday into New York City. Uh, but what a Patriot Awards last night. It was just if you were patriotic, if you want inspiration, motivation, it was uh, where you could find it. Uh, the Patriot Awards. If you didn't watch it live, you could still get it on Fox Nation. We'll discuss that with Frank Siller in a matter of moments and uh, Admiral James Starvitas about the war around us. And Brett Baer is also joining us this hour. So I don't want to waste too much time up top. Because we know there's going to be a step aside, a one-on-one with the Mexican president today. With our president, he better bring up the border, remaining in Mexico, putting 20,000 of their Marines on their border so we don't have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, on our border, illegals. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They should have all gotten the same treatment. None of them should have been indicted. This is a statute. That is never applied to former presidents who take documents home with them unless they have shown them or sold them to the foreign enemies. And they haven't. Alan Dershowitz talking about this. Nothing to see here. Joe Biden is about to get a rebuke and a reprieve from any charges over his classified documents case. Really? House Oversight Committee wants transparency. Uh, Also, this leak-proof investigation... What did they focus on? What did they find? Was there any one topic that might have benefited the family in another investigation? Number two. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. UBL Letters from a Nut seems to be a fa- found a receptive audience uh, in Gen Zers. We look at the TikTok. That fueling the Fuhrer, and I'm talking about putting out bin Laden's final comments and message to America and thinking bin Laden is a genius, genius. The twisted minds that are now following him here in America. Number one. Exactly why there should be assault rifles located next to an MRI machine uh, escapes me. And this is compelling evidence of the fact that Hamas embeds itself in civilian infrastructure of one kind or another. Uh, Israel at war. America attacked again in that region, in Syria and in Iraq, while the IDF sends out video of the tunnels and the weaponry located in mosques and most of all hospitals. There's some people that you can't convince. I understand that. But the fact is the fact and the video is the video. They are finally getting smarter, not just doing the right thing, but showing it, they're bringing the reporters with them into this unscripted battlefield and saying, watch us, report what you see. And what the IDF is seeing and revealing and what reporters are finding is that you have weaponry by MRI machines in the basements, our uh, Hamas headquarters, in the tunnels are the home, are the weapons depots and a place where they plot and plan to kill. 
So with me right now is uh, Frank Siller. He knows the world is exploding around us, a little disturbed, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't stop him from doing great things on a daily basis uh, with his Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Uh, Frank, welcome back. Great job last night. How special was it to have your brother's son named after him on the stage with you at the Patriot Awards? No, uh, good morning, Brian. And it, it was terrific. Uh, you know, first ever uh, Stephen Siller uh, Hero Award. Uh, given out to these uh, five great police officers from the National Police Department who rushed into the Covenant School last in March and uh, saved so many, so many lives. And to be on stage with my brother's uh, son, who's Stephen Silla Jr., uh, and Stephen, my brother's son, speaking about how, you know, this is named after his father was very emotional, uh, to, to say the least. And to be up there with, with you and all the... Uh, uh, members of Fox and Friends, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a special moment uh, to be there with those heroes. And you're helping so many people, not just those who serve in the military, but first responders. I mean, not just first responders, but those in the military. Uh, Frank, here's you last night on the Patriot Awards. Cut three. Named after my brother, a true hero whose legacy we celebrate my brother's heroic acts during the tragic events of 9-11 epitomizes a commitment to duty and love for humanity, etching his story into the hearts of our nation. He ran with 60 pounds of gear on his back through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel towards danger, towards the unknown, to save lives. That same spirit of courage and selflessness flows in the veins of all our heroes and most certainly my brother, FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller, for whom this award is being named. Right. And, uh, and Stephen, of course, nine months old uh, when his dad passed. So having him up there, you said that was especially emotional for you. Uh, it was. I actually broke down several times in the last couple of days uh, because, you know, <laughs> You know, to have my brother's son there, who's named after him, and you know, he's uh, my my nephew is getting so involved in the foundation. He actually works with the in the line of duty program that we have at the uh, at the foundation, where he talks to a lot of these widows and these families. And uh, who better than him? He's he's lived it all his life, the loss of his father. Uh, you know, and it, it, it happens all, all too often when we lose a, a firefighter or a police officer. And we're so proud at the Tunnels and Towers Foundation that we pay off every single mortgage in America, every single uh, first responder that dies in line of duty that leaves a young family behind. And, you know, my family has lived that. You know, my brother, my, my, uh, my brother Stephen, you know, we raised him. He was a little boy when my parents died. And, he was as much a son to me as he was a brother when he perished on, on 9-11. But we were so proud of what he did, you know, running through that tunnel and, and getting there to save other people and giving up his own life that we started this foundation. And we made a solemn promise as a family that in his honor and in his name, we're going to do good and uh, take that uh, evil act. And, and, and we know goodness always defeats evil. And that's what we're doing as a foundation. And to have my, my nephew up there with me last night and to be with me the last couple of days here and interacting with these great heroes is, uh, is sad but beautiful. But isn't the award going to be named after your brother every year now? 
I don't know that. I didn't ask that question. I was just so moved oh. that that they did it this year. I, uh, you know, it'd be great. Um, yeah, that would. I'm praying for that. I'm gonna. Because, I'm gonna uh, motion for it if it's not done already. <laughs> but <laughs> well, uh, but the other thing is you. I'm on it, Frank. You know, you're you're a man of action, so I'll, I will uh, I'll look into it. So so, uh, Frank, you, you're building villages now, right? You're building whole towns. Yeah. So so uh, last Thursday, uh, you know, we could go uh, last Thursday. We we uh, had the first ever a, a homeless uh, village that we built uh, in in Houston, Texas. We took a 161 room apartment. Uh, a hotel, and uh, we made it into uh, single apartments for these great heroes with their own kitchen, you know, their own bathrooms, their own TV, their own bed, obviously. And uh, and on the first floor of this uh, this building, we have all the comprehensive services that these great heroes are going to need to assimilate back into society. And we also built in 500 square foot homes. We had we we had these whole, uh, one of the homes on the plaza there back in New York City. It's right? still there, by the way. It's still there. It's still there. I when I left on Wednesday night, uh, it was still there. Okay, well, good because people it's can great. see it and, and go through it and see what kind of comfort. Because I call them comfort homes. What kind of comfort we're going to give these, especially Vietnam veterans, have been in the streets for God knows how many years. We're going to take them off the street, every single one of them, and we're going to make sure they have some uh, stability, uh, some comfort, some dignity. Uh, and some hope put, put back into uh, their lives, and uh, we're, we're just proud of this. So we made a promise we're going to eradicate homelessness amongst our veterans. We're always going to take care of our gold star widows that leave, you know, that have uh, young young families left behind after their loved one gave their life for their country. You know what we do for former first responders. I just talked about that. We're going to pay off the mortgages all over America. The right. catastrophically injured service members and first responders, we're going to build those smart homes all over America. We'll always do that forever. But right. now we're going to, we made a promise we're going to eradicate homelessness amongst our veterans. And Fox is helping us. And and uh, that's the beauty of it. And your listening so will help us go to T2T.org. $11 a month, Brian. Now $11 a month adds up it just adds yep. up, and uh, that's how we're able to do it. Certainty of cost and knowing money's coming in also helps you budget, and you're a business guy. Exactly. Uh, and it helps you to understand what you're capable of doing. Uh, so go there. And by the way, look up Charity, Charity, uh, Charity Navigator to find out the quality of this charity. It's a top notch. Uh, Frank Siller, thanks so much. Great to see you again, Frank. And you closed the show for two years in a row, and it's quite appropriate. Frank Siller, thank you. Thank you. God bless, Brian. All right, see you back in New York. Meanwhile, coming up next, uh, one of America's finest leaders, Admiral James Stavridis, on the latest on the war in Israel. And what, what would he do, knowing that our guys were just attacked three more times over the last two days? Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Exactly why there should be assault rifles located next to an MRI machine uh, escapes me. Uh, And this is uh, compelling evidence of the fact that Hamas embeds itself in civilian infrastructure of one kind or another. We have our own information that uh, command and control nodes uh, are located either in or under hospitals. There's several of them. Uh, and this is um, something that's really monstrous in what uh, Hamas has done to try to uh, embed itself among civilians. Uh, that, of course, is Anthony Blinken talking about the war in uh, Gaza. They, uh, they're all penetrated deep into that city. And people are saying, well, why are you at a hospital? Uh, the hospital needs uh, resources. They don't need to be under attack. Well, tell that to Hamas, who, according to the IDF, who has submitted video, they have a headquarters underneath and a weapons depot uh, inside. Why wouldn't you hit it if you want to eradicate a terror group that just hacked up over 1,200 of your citizens? Many, 790 at least, were civilians. Admiral James Trevitas joins us now, the 16th Allied Commander, multi-New uh, York Times bestseller, uh, all uh, nine conflicts over the crucible of the Crucible of Decision, The Sailor's Bookshelf, and 2034, a novel of the next world war. Admiral, it seems pretty clear that Israel could have done a better job putting out the word on what exactly they were doing militarily because they were losing ground internationally on the propaganda and the messaging. Could not agree with you more. Let's start with the fact that, yeah, there's a massive war crime happening at that hospital. And the war crime is being committed by Hamas, which is using medical facilities to shield their fighters, conduct command and control. I think that's quite clear. And you heard it from Secretary Blinken. The U.S. has its own sources. Look, I've I've looked at this intelligence for many, many years. I was in charge of U.S.-Israeli military-to-military cooperation for four years. I visited Israel often. Without getting into anything classified, I'll simply say I have a lot of confidence that there are enormous tunnels uh, all throughout Gaza, including underneath that hospital. I think you'll see more in the days ahead. We ought to be calling out Hamas for using hospitals and civilians in this callous, criminal fashion. So we found a few hostage bodies. They claim that they were they were killed in the bombings. There's a deals going on in Qatar, Qatar, and I think that you probably know something about that. Um, and I just was wondering, strategically, what would you need if you were in charge of this operation to give a to give Hamas a five day pause? What would you need? Um, I don't think there is anything at this minute that would cause me to offer a five day pause. And I say that with immense respect and sadness for the hostages and for their families. But I think we're still at a stage in the operation where Israel needs to close that noose 
And ultimately, Brian, the key military objective here, in addition to rescuing the hostages, the other key military objective, I'll give it to you in one word, tunnels. They have to eradicate those tunnels. That's going to take time, 300 miles under you know, a strip of land that's 25 miles by six miles. There's 300 miles of tunnels. That's been the heart of Hamas. It's been the heart of the attacks on Israel. I think Israel needs mm-hmm. to continue to close those down. Once that is accomplished and the Israelis have some modicum of security control, I think at that point you could consider a pause of some number of days to allow a hostage exchange. Not until then. So the U.S. is under pressure, I guess, from the Arab community. Have you been in touch with world leaders in the Middle East or leadership about how they're viewing this? We know what they're saying publicly, but how much damage is being done, if any, to their relations with Israel? In my view, there is less damage than is being brooded about by the Arab uh, leadership. In other words, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, King Hussein of Jordan, uh, the the leadership in Israel, al-Sisi, um, all of them, of course, are going to publicly align and support the Palestinians. But watch the fact that you're not seeing uh, massive sanctions put on Israel. You're not seeing a breakdown in trade with Israel. You're, you're seeing verbiage and verbal condemnation. Uh, but so far, anyway, we have not, Brian, seen a break in the Israeli-Arab mm-hmm. actual relations. Israeli ambassadors are still functioning in these capitals, not in Riyadh, of course, but in uh, Jordan and Egypt. Um, so I think that uh, the, the Arab world, the, the non-Palestinian Arab world, wants to continue the Abraham Accords. They want to expand that. The Saudis ultimately want to have diplomatic relations with Israel. This is going to delay that process for a year or so. But, no, I mm-hmm. have not seen actual massive breaks, sanctions, right. ambassadors recalled, broken diplomatic relations. China and the U.S. Uh, leaders, uh, two leaders met. China put this out in their, in their uh, national-run newspaper. They praised the warm meeting between the two leaders in California, a marked shift of rhetoric from months of negotiations aimed at reestablishing what had been a test relationship. Uh, They went on to say the most important bilateral relationships in the world is between the U.S. and China. A stable and growing China is good for the United States and the whole world. Read between the lines. Tell me how you feel, Admiral. I think, you know, a lot of life, Brian, you, you and I have had this conversation. A lot of life is compared to what? And compared to where we were a year ago, when you and I on this show were talking quite correctly yep. about the outrageous Chinese behavior, spy balloons above the United States, uh, wolf warrior diplomats. I mean, frankly, who calls their diplomats wolf warriors? Um, we saw nothing but uh, anger and acrimony emanating from Beijing. You know what a difference a year makes. And in particular, here I'll read between the lines, um, the Chinese economy is sputtering badly. And Xi Jinping cannot afford to have uh, his one of his largest trading partners, that would be the United States of America, uh, simply decouple and walk away. So he needs something. On the other side, uh, oh. President Biden is not looking to have a 
a, a war over Taiwan or a war in the South China Sea, particularly as he heads into an election year. So reading between the lines, right. you have two leaders who want something from each other. Therefore, you have a pretty warm meeting, and that's a good thing. Right. All right. So it ended on a positive note, but they also are vulnerable. It might be our chance to go on the offensive, respectfully. Admiral, always great. Thank you. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I believe that Donald Trump being elected again would destroy democracy as we know it. I would, I'm concerned. I'm very scared because, you know, he's already said what he would do. He's going to use the power of the office for revenge. He's going to basically, he's the, he doesn't believe that the only election, what he believes is the only fair election is the one he won. And, and he doesn't believe in the rule of law to where the law only pertains to everybody but him. It's a horrible situation, and I just, I'm scared of that. That would destroy our country as I know it. Really surprising for me to see Senator Manchin say that. Not that a Democrat doesn't say that every day, but Senator Manchin has kind of avoided that. And I wonder if Brett Baer was surprised to get that answer as he considers running for president on, another, uh, on a non-mainstream platform, whether it's no labels or independent. Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report, author of the brand new book, children's book called The History Club, uh, The History Club, Duel Across Time. So that is out. It's really targeting eight to 14 year olds. And don't forget about to rescue the Constitution. That's also out while covering all the breaking news. So, Brett, you got one of the big scores. You got Manchin to sit down with you. Were you surprised by that answer? Yeah, Brian, good morning. I think I, I mean, I was, uh, I think he has been troubled by, uh, you know, not, that's a democratic talking point broadly, but in recent weeks, what, uh, the former president has said, uh, about going after opponents, uh, I think he has been troubled by those words. And, uh, I was surprised to, to hear that. And, you know, I went back and said, what do you say to the voters out there who look at the Trump presidency and say, you know, there was a lot of um, policy issues that they liked. And, uh, you know, him as president, while they didn't agree with maybe him personally, they liked his policies. And he said, well, that's true. But there are still major concerns, and there's concerns about Biden, too. So, listen, he's trying to play middle of the road. I'm not sure there is a road here, Brian, as far as no labels. But it's clear that he is making the rounds and uh, I think looks more likely to do it than not. Interesting. But the one thing that he said, this is why, despite the fact that he said it, I was surprised he felt that way because he was one of those people that could deal with Trump most of the time. Number two is if you do that, the conventional theory is on the left is you give the election to Trump because that means you get those moderates, pull them, give the Democrats an alternative, and that third party would be enough to get those one and two percent off in those key states and give the election to Trump. And why would he risk that? Yeah, and that's what I asked in him his too. view. He says yeah. that he wouldn't be a spoiler. Uh, he's done the analysis. He thinks that the analysis that he would hand it over to Trump would be wrong uh, and that they would take equally from both parties. I'm not sure. I don't think. I think you're right in the analysis that the the MAGA faithful would stick with uh, the former president and most of the vote would come from President Biden if if you just looked at it practically. I think, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of factors here. You've got uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You've got uh, Jill Stein in the Green Party. You've got um, Cornell West. All of these people will take one, two percent of the vote. Uh, it, it becomes a toss up, really. And then if you throw in a no labels party, it really does become um, anybody's ball game, I think. But all the polls, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Fox News backed up the Siena New York Times poll that backed up the CNN poll that Trump beats Biden head to head. DeSantis beats Biden head to head by five. And then you have Haley with an 11 point advantage over DeSantis, excuse me, over over Biden. And on all these major issues, this guy is underwater. I've never seen anything like that. And as David Oxford no. pointed out, yeah, others have trailed, but they've had the ability to work their way out of it. Nobody thinks that pre- nobody that I know thinks that President Biden can work his way out of this through pure campaigning and energy and messaging. I agree with you. And it is a bad, bad place, which is why you get Democrats uh, publicly and privately, more so privately, uh, saying that this is untenable. But how the other shoe drops, how you get from here to there is really a big question and one that uh, has not been answered. I will say that all of these polls suggest that if the former president is convicted of a crime, it does change the dynamics a bit on the people who support him. Now, not the diehards. They're going to be with him no matter what. But the independents who think he's getting a Roche, you know, deal or the Trump favorable about policy, uh, they become much more vulnerable uh, to getting picked off. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like when you get charged, say he's got 90 charges for indictments. Today, the other story is Wall Street Journal reporting that Joe Biden will get rebuked but not charged in his documents case. Now, we've almost had zero leaks, Brett, about this case as Robert Hur has conducted it. But evidently, there's some really egregious uh, practices, but not enough to indict him. Now, all of a sudden, James Comer goes, really? Uh, well, what are you looking at? Is there a theme to the to the documents that he has? Does it have anything to do with some of these bank accounts that we found? And he wants the oversight wants a shot at this. Can you evaluate where we're at right now? Please. Yeah, I think if it comes out that they're not going to go forward with charges, uh, it'll be similar to James Comey uh, coming out and doing the scathing uh, statement, but not moving forward with charges against Hillary Clinton for the uh, for the emails. And I think that there will be some bad practices uh, yeah, because if he's not charged, there will be a charge of two systems of justice. Uh, based on what uh, the former president is facing with documents. I I do think Comer is chasing money, and he wants access to all of this. Uh, And, you know, they they feel, just talking to them and the investigators, that it's like a dog with a bone. They're not letting go, uh, and they feel like they have a pretty good bone uh, that they're still following up on. So the Speaker Johnson cuts a deal with Democrats, loses, uh, I think, 50 or 60 votes in the House, and we get a two-tiered continuing resolution through January. And Steve Bannon, one of the extreme right-wingers out there with some power, says, I'm putting him on the clock as if he's going to threaten to oust him. And we saw how angry Chip Roy was in voting against it. What kind of damage did, did Speaker Johnson do? Or is this all theater? 
Well, I think that's a real question because, you know, you look at the vote, Brian, it's almost exactly the same vote that kicked out Kevin McCarthy. Now, he didn't have as much, uh, you know, goodwill as Speaker Johnson does for the time being. I think because of the embarrassing uh, moment for Republicans going through this, you know, kicking out the speaker and then trying to get a speaker numerous times with all these folks, you know, Jordan and others, uh, I think it buys Johnson a little time, but it's exactly the same moment, and you're at the exact same House majority uh, to be able to deal with. So, you know, Steve Bannon saying that, others saying, you know, you're on the clock. Uh, it's a tough, tough job to be able to walk through a three-seat majority. What's the early read on the U.S.-China mini-summit among the leaders, four hours? I know the president's got, a, I think, a consequential meeting with, Moscow, with Mexico if he chooses to really engage and talk about the catastrophe at our southern border. My hunch is he won't, which is be a disaster. But the takeaway, the Chinese newspapers, we always go to that to see how they write it because it is the mouthpiece of the state. And they said the very cordial, said nice things. What is the takeaway? Because we're hearing some rumors that the president might have given away the store. That's the question. And on Capitol Hill, that's the fear that they thought it was bad, but they didn't know whether it was catastrophic. Uh, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is at this moment in time, China is hurting. They're hurting economically. They've got major systemic economic issues. Their population is really old. They have a lot of exports and imports uh, in order to survive. And so if we wanted to, the U.S. could have the boot on the neck of China, just like we did have the boot on the neck of Iran uh, before the sanctions were loosened uh, or not enforced. So I do think that there's questions. I don't think that there is definite deliverables, the military-to-military contact. I mean, they can pick up the phone. The fentanyl deal, we don't have the out outlying of uh, how that's going to be enforced. And uh, we did get a couple of pandas, apparently. Uh, come on. I don't read pandas. I mean, would, would, I, mean I, I know people like to see the pandas, but I actually think they're mocking <laughs> us at this point. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kidding about the pandas, but that's it. That's a deliberate. But no, you're not that kidding. That's it. No, I know. I it's know. true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And then you said they're going to, and the other thing they brought up is we're going to be communicating in times, uh, in times of contention between defense departments. Okay, fine. We're, we're not we're not heading off their destroyers. We're not interdicting their planes. We're not getting into did within ten ten feet of their B fifty twos. So here's, in a way, it's the we're going to deal discussed. with the bully. Here's what wasn't discussed: the origins of COVID, the spy balloon, and what exactly happened with all of that. The spy facility that's being built in Cuba. The international effort by China to steal um, secrets, trade secrets from companies and the government. None of that apparently was was discussed. Apparently climate change around the edges was discussed with Secretary Kerry, now climate advisor, a few seats away from the president. But, you know, what is China going to do? They have created coal fire plants, two of them, every couple of weeks in 2022. (laughs) And that has not stopped. So tell me about your children's book, what the approach was. I know you, when I get online, I talk about my history books. And just Teddy and Booker T, they say, I wish, I, could, I wish you could make this for your kids. I wish that my kids can read this. Is that, what, is yeah. that, is that what's behind your, your latest book? Yeah, it's called History Club, Duel Across Time, and it's a person series. What happened was, I, just like you, I want to do this to open the eyes of 
not only our generation, but younger generations in particular, and make it readable. I tried with these presidential books to have like a uh, young reader version, but it just wasn't exciting. Uh, you know, it was good, but it wasn't exciting. It was more like a school book. And so yeah. I changed the dynamic and went to graphic novel, uh, which apparently is the thing for these middle schoolers, and came up with this idea of this middle school class for friends who are in this history club, and they work together on these competitions, but then they get tapped by this time traveler who says, we need your help to stop this villain, the history twister, who is changing history, and you've got to fix it to get it back to, to normal. Anyway, it was a vehicle that I could get actual pieces of history all throughout time into this graphic novel and then sneak in some real history to these uh, really 7- to 14-year-olds. Awesome. And, and how do we get it? It's out. It's out. Uh, it came out Tuesday. So Amazon, wherever you get books, uh, it's called the History Club Duel Across Time. You can go to my website, brettbear.com. Right. Uh, it'll be everywhere. I know you're going to be in Vero Beach. The big buzz for your last one. They say, Brett's coming back. I go, no, no. He came already. And they said no. And they told me about your book. So are you go? what other cities can we commit to a Brett Bear sighting? Yeah. So um, let's see. Thanksgiving week. Uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I'll be in Naples at that Barnes & Noble. Uh, so there could be a lot of grandparents there if they want to come out. I think it's 1 o'clock at the Naples Barnes & Noble on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, and then I'll be in Vero Beach uh, with a big big signing there. I just got finished with uh, George H.W. Bush's library. Had 750 middle schoolers and did a PowerPoint about the book, and they were fired up. So um, that was a good test. What a great idea. That's fantastic. I'm going to be going to George W. Bush's uh, library, which is awesome, on the campus That's of great. SMU. So I'll be going there shortly. Uh, that'll be good. And hopefully we can Congrats meet with the, on the president. Book. What's, be the, what's the deal? How's it been going? Well, we opened up number, yeah, we opened up in, uh, number nine. So in the nice. middle of a war, I'll take that. Because you don't, you've got to make sure that people understand what's happening in Israel. As you know, Brett, before you know what to tell people what happened in the past. So I'm happy with that. We're off today. I'll have two signings in Tennessee over the next two days out to Alabama. I'm going to have some – we had some fun last night at the Patriot Awards, able to sign books there. So a lot nice. of great Fox fans asking for Brett Bear. <laughs> Tell him I said hi. Uh, it looked like a great event. You got it. Oh, it was great. Uh, another reason for Fox to be proud. Uh, thanks so much, Brett. Congratulations on the book. And one more time, it's called The History Club Duel Across Time. Brett Bear, Washington Special Report tonight around 6. Meanwhile, when we come back, um, well, when we come back, I'm going to be able to take your calls for the first time. 1-866-408-7669. Go through your emails, briankilmead.com. Just click on contacts. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Last night, I was out on Broadway. Yo, you ever get so drunk that your knee just mysteriously gives out on you? You're like, what is there, an invisible midget running around kicking people in the back? And of course, I can't say midget. I work at Fox News. I have to say Gutfeld. And... Just jokes, man. I owe the king of late night my butt, man. I really do. And uh, he wanted to be here to open with me, but we didn't have a kid seat in my Bronco.
So that was uh, the pregame with uh, Jimmy Fallon. Did a great job warming up the audience, getting them ready. Capacity crowd, I think four or five thousand uh, at uh, the Grand Old Opry House. So that was some of the Patriot Awards and some of the recipients were there. It was interesting to see all the uh, the speeches and the anchors and the presenters and guys like Dennis Quaid were there, and you got the the inimitable uh, Tyrus was also there. One of the winners was James Patterson. James Patterson just loves to write. He also likes the police. He wrote a book about him. Became a best-selling book, he thought. He looked at the numbers on BookScan. He looked at the numbers on Nielsen, and he said, this is going to be one of my biggest sellers. It wasn't on the New York Times list. And they realized there's a politics in the New York Times, politics with books, often. You know, it happened before, but maybe never happened to maybe the most successful writer in the country. He got the award because his book just saluted the men and women uh, who uh, put on the uniform uh, and man our streets. Cut to. We need to back our men and women in blue. If we don't, we could end up with a country of cities overrun by criminals, and it's kind of happening already. We need to make sure our police are supported by this rule of law. Bad guys, you do the crime, you do the time. I'm proud to be up here standing in for for all these officers and to be honoring our police tonight. Go blue. And what he also said is, and he's he's taken this from, this is a guy that wrote a bunch of books with Bill Clinton. He's not known as a Democrat or Republican, as far as I know. All of a sudden, he couldn't get any interviews. CBS was not interviewed in this book. Really? You're not interested in this book? These are stories of police officers. Not, not that they're rich. They're not famous. We're not recounting a famous crime that was unsolved. I'm telling you, these officers, this is perilous stuff. A lot of it's on video. And if you don't, you know, if you, if you don't want to do a segment, I mean, you could you see how visual this segment could be. Could not get booked. And that's why he was more than happy to take the award last night, Patriot Awards. He did a great thing. He lifted up the morale of many cops, maybe converted some kids to be police officers, which is great. And then we find out in places like New York City, the first thing they cut because of the illegal immigrant process, uh, because they need billions of dollars, they cancel the police academies. They're going to not replenish the force as they retire because of the climate in many situations are just, it's been 20 years. Hey, go out and pick up Teddy and Booker T, the story of two American icons who blaze a path to racial equality at BrianKillMe.com. There's also a button you can click on it. Go to my local bookstore, and I'll be able to sign it and send it out for the holidays. Don't move. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Normally, I'd say I'm coming to you from Manhattan. I'm not. I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, as the guy with the deep voice just said. Fresh off the Patriot Awards. Uh, So glad to be here. does not mean we don't have a lot of New York news uh, going on, which is national news. Uh, I think a lot of this. If you want retribution, why would you be targeting Mayor Adams, who's been critical of President Biden, suddenly, just when he was about to go visit the White House, now all of a sudden you got to worry about links to Turkey. My sense is it's serious. My sense is you could find something on anybody at any time. Everybody listening right now, they'll find some vulnerability with you, and I think it's getting really scary. And you're talking to a guy that I've only talked to Mayor Adams twice. Twice he's pledged to come on. He hasn't. So... I think it's pretty scary when when people who are in power just want to 
uh, take you down, even if you're in their own party, if they could find if the Justice Department if, is behind this. Josh Crasharrow is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. The ongoing APEC summit comes to a close shortly. The president gets to fly back to Delaware and visit his, his secret documents, or at least where they used to be. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They should have all gotten the same treatment. None of them should have been indicted. Uh, this is a statute that is never applied to former presidents who take documents home with them unless they have shown them or sold them to the foreign enemies. And they haven't. Uh, that Alan Dershowitz. Nothing to see here. Joe Biden is about to get a rebuke and a reprieve from any charges over his classified documents case. Really? House Oversight Committee says, wait a second. What about some transparency? Not one leak on this investigation. Is there some of those documents who would be consistent with the investigation they are doing on the Biden family? Let's see. Let's find out. Will we? Number two. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. Unbelievable. UBL letters from a nut. Seems to have found a receptive audience in America, Gen Z or specifically. We look at this TikTok fueled furor and twisted minds they are twisting. Number one. Exactly why there should be assault rifles located next to an MRI machine uh, escapes me. And this is compelling evidence of the fact that Hamas embeds itself in civilian infrastructure of one kind or another. Uh, That, of course, is Anthony Blinken, and he is talking about what is going on with Israel at war. Americans attacked again while the IDF sends out video of tunnels. So we're up to 59 attacks on our guys since October 17th. October 17th, we've hit back maybe four, possibly five times. Might have killed a handful of guys, but they're trying to kill all our guys. We got about 35 who said they have TBI, traumatic brain injury. Don't act like that's a small thing. It is what it is. Traumatic brain injury that could cause widespread depression. It could cause all types of problems now and beyond. And we're taking it. I don't know why we're not taking it. We're worried about escalation. But the Houthi rebels are taking out our drones. They're trying to rocket our ships. We know that they're trying to hit us in Syria. I got reports from people saying that my uh, kids are stationed in Kuwait, and they said they're being rocketed in Kuwait. Got 45,000 troops in the region. And it kind of worries me that we're barely ever hitting back. I want to get the hostages back, too. It has nothing to do with it. So they're also close to the Israelis are to, to eliminating their the infrastructure in northern Gaza uh, that Hamas once co- controlled. So you talk about what's happening in Syria. We watched that there were multiple attacks on our guys again. Right after we hit back on Sunday, they hit us four times on Monday. Now we're finishing out this week, and we're going to be probably over 60 by the weekend. Until we just go ahead and wipe out some Iranian base, until we start taking shots at destroying militias in Iraq, our guys are going to be unnecessarily unsafe. And I just don't find that acceptable. I hope you don't either. I think we have to give our guys a chance to fight. Uh, So here's what Matt Miller said yesterday about what's happening with Gaza. Here's what Matt Miller, the State Department spokesman, said what's happening with Uh, us not focusing on the positive, like how many have gotten out from there? Cut 13. We have nearly 700 American American citizens, 
legal permanent residents and family members who have gotten out of Gaza through Rafa Gate. Uh, there are little under 900 who are left of that number. Around 300 of them or so are American citizens, and the others are legal permanent residents and their family members. Um, we're trying to get more out all the time uh, and remain in contact with uh, the American citizens and family members that are, that are left. So they also are pointing out the IDF is we're trying to get guys out of Gaza. It looks like we're starting to do that. Humanitarian aid is coming in, about 500 trucks. Got it. Understood that. But also, I think it's important to point out the IDF is doing something they haven't been doing. They're actually bringing reporters with them into the battlefield right at the tip of the spear and saying, tape this. I'm going to show you what we have. I'm looking at a hospital. I'm looking at a mosque. I'm looking at a daycare center. And why are we targeting that? Well, look, look at my feet. There's a tunnel here. That's what they're doing. Hamas builds their stuff at places where people with values and ethics would have trouble bombing. And I don't know how precise they've been, but Israel's got a great reputation. And hospitals have been hurting, but you should know they're hurting because they're virtual weapons depots. Weapons depots for Hamas. Cut 10. Lieutenant General Herzi Halava. We are close to destroying the military system in the North Gaza Strip, much as it depends on us. And we will continue to other areas if we can. Yeah, uh, they're going to look to push everybody south. They're going to look to get all the civilians out. But... They can't stop bombing in these areas, but they have to do a better job selling it. And I think they are. I think that's an important part of this. Do not give your enemy something to say Israel is just trying to kill every Palestinian. Number one, they're not. And number two is just don't let, don't lose the PR war. Is that possible? In terms of these protests, I can't believe after I saw 300,000 show up for the pro-Israeli uh, march on Washington, not march, but uh, rally on Washington. I did not think that I would see more protests like I'm seeing now. They did a story in the New York Post I find interesting. This guy, Roy Singman, and his wife, they're the founder of uh, the People's Forum, have donated millions of dollars, $20 million, to put together about 1,200 events of pro-Hamas rallies, pro-Palestinian rallies. And they also brought up, this guy Roy Singman, that he basically has a house in Shanghai, very tight with the Chinese, very successful business. So these pro-Palestinian protests, a lot of these people are being paid by people like him and organizations like that. For Tlaib, who got censured, you think that she'd have trouble getting a ride from an Uber. Now she's getting speaking gigs at Arizona State. The student group there invited her to talk about how Israel is the aggressor and how the Palestinians are getting a raw deal. I was astounded by that. And I'm also astounded by other colleges that are experiencing a rise in the Palestinian cause. There's a ton of them are just deciding, like Ohio State, University of North Carolina, University of Cincinnati, University of Michigan. There are pro-Palestinian protests expected at these colleges over the weekend. Tlaib is getting speaking gigs. So you can't say, well, they're marginalized. They don't represent us. Man, they represent somebody. And it's not Republicans. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take some of your calls. I promise if we could pop them up here, we could do it through electronic. We can do that here in Nashville. Go to BrianKillMe.com. You can order the president of Freedom Fighter. And I think you'll find this story of Teddy Roosevelt, the president of Freedom Fighter, uh, Teddy and Booker T, too of Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. You probably don't know how they work together. You know them individually. 
I think that's what I'm trying to accomplish, what people really want. And I'm going to be in Brentwood, Tennessee in a few hours today. So I look forward to seeing you all in person if you are indeed around. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This morning I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel uh, a little bit just confused like I have entered into another timeline. What is this? And yeah, so go read it. So one of these influencers got a hold of what was posted on The Guardian which was uh, letters, uh, a letter to America from that lunatic Osama bin Laden, the terrorist, who thankfully we, we killed after he killed so many Americans over the years, uh, dating back to the embassy bombings. We know about this. There's been movies about this. But now suddenly we can't figure out that he's the bad guy with these next generations. They read some excerpts from bin Laden's writings where he says and condemns Israel as evil and America as even more evil because without us, Israel wouldn't exist. After The Guardian pulled it, this TikTok influencer with 12 million followers put this out there. Her name is Lynette Atkins. He got, she quickly got 100,000 likes. It's probably double that now. Uh, in the letter to America, Bin Laden accused the U.S. of being complicit in the oppression of Palestinians and spreading AIDS throughout the world. That's right. We started AIDS throughout the world. Fantastic. The letter began to get traction uh, after the U.K. newspaper put it out. Uh, they do a lot of things. In this letter to America, upon further review, you will find out that women should not have jobs, that women should serve strangers and visitors. That should be their focus. But in America, the fact that they have jobs makes them evil. How many times have I said that? I, I, every time I see a woman working, you, well, you know how angry bin Laden's going to get. We should really think twice about it. Here's more. Cut 16. So I just read a letter to America and I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never, I, please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment, because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. What an insult to the victims of 9-11 died in the embassy bombings or you gave your life trying to hunt down bin Laden in Afghanistan or dealt with the doctrine in ISIS and ISIS-K uh, and all the other outs, uh, outgrowths of this terror organization that lives for another life, not ours, and to take us out, Israel specifically, us next, maybe along the way. 
So now they publish bin Laden's writings, and you have a whole generation who is persuaded by it. Do you believe this? Do you think any woman in her right mind would travel to that culture, say Sharia law? That's perfect for me. It's crazy. And by the way, why would they even publishing bin Laden's letters? Why would you give them that? Why would you give that organization oxygen? Here's John Miller, who was the first I know of to sit down with bin Laden one-on-one in a cave, cut 18. What's the effect this is having? The intelligence community assessment today is we're seeing this now being repeated on al-Qaeda channels saying uh, Sheikh Osama's letter is now being viewed by millions of Americans oh, they're touting this. who are finally understanding what this is about and what our brothers in Hamas are going through. It's also, and this is the one that kind of knocked me back, it's also being the letter is being posted now in right-wing, violent extremist, accelerationist channels where anti-Semitism is their normal flavor, saying, you know, this guy actually gets it. Right-wing accelerants channels? What are you even talking about? That's your former deputy uh, uh, police chief in New York City, too, by the way. They, he did such a good job as a reporter, they actually hired him. A couple of them did. I think one that loved him the most was probably Bloomberg, and they stuck around for Ray Kelly. So I have respect for him. I interviewed him a couple of times, but I don't even know why he felt. Does he feel compelled to bring right wing up into this? Uh, most of the right wing is not pro Bin Laden ever in any way. The anti-Semitism that's come up, now letters from Bin Laden put forward by TikTok, and now TikTok says, what is the big threat to free market America? Say, Ayan Hirsch Ali, who will be joining me on One Nation this weekend at 9 o'clock Eastern time, Knows all about this mindset. They put out a fatwa on her life. They wanted to kill her. And she knows how little they think of women in that culture. Cut 20. I am uh, surprised. Um, I'm shocked. I'm disgusted like everyone else. Um, But not at the kids. Not at the um, 25-year-old, 20-year-old TikTok users. Um, it's our education system. It's our media system. If you look at what happened in the last 20 years, it's the rise and rise of the woke mind virus. And what does the woke mind virus do? It propagates that America is a, a place built on slavery. It's about exploitation. It goes to other countries and it kills and it enslaves and it exploits and all of these things. Amazing. And that is true. And she lived it. Will you please listen to her? That's one of the reasons I booked her. I'm also going to take two great war correspondents, uh, Benjamin Hall, who lost uh, life, almost lost his life, but definitely lost his limb and got an eye uh, in the war in Ukraine. Been covering, he interviewed ISIS heads. He's interviewed Hamas heads as well as uh, great Trey Yinks. But I want them as analysts to tell me what's going on there. I want them as analysts to explain the mindset there. Newt Gingrich is one that's just fed up with this whole thing. Cannot believe it. And said it to Sean Hannity last night, cut 22. If people are passive, if they're timid, if they're afraid, uh, evil dominates. Uh, This is not complicated at all. Uh, When good men and good women refuse to stand up for the truth, uh, evil dominates. So let's look at a couple of things. First of all, uh, as my wife, Calista, just did, it said in a newsletter, uh, TikTok should either be banned or they should sell it to an American company. But the idea of having a Chinese communist propaganda system in the United States is just crazy. 
It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And for the Democrats to get away with it because they want to be able to tap into that young audience is nuts. Are you first concerned about the country? A lot of people will vote for you if you do the responsible thing. We've been calling for this for a while. And what I, the only thing I found heartening about this uh, Israel war and the attack, the only thing I found heartening about this bin Laden letter is that it's blurring the lines, is making people say, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, this right and wrong. Listen to Mark Warner, Cut24. The magic of TikTok, and there's some creative things on TikTok, let me acknowledge. But the magic of TikTok is the algorithm would kind of knows what you like before you know what you like. And that is a very, very powerful tool. The Chinese have said they would rather shut down TikTok than have that algorithm released um, if TikTok were to move to another country. And in the case of, you know, some of these young folks spreading abhorrent ridiculous views that somehow justify Osama bin Laden terrorist attack that killed more Americans uh, than any terrorist attack in so, history. So you know what Why I'm talking about? Democratic Senate, Democratic Senator Mark Warner, sounding like us. That's the only good thing. Senator Fetterman, sounding like us. One of the only good things that come out of it. I just want reasonable people, not all politics, but politics exists with Politico's Axios is John Crosshower. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is a place where I do a little bedwetting. Um, when I'm sitting up at night, this is the thing I worry about. If Joe Manchin decides he wants to run on a third-party ticket, that could elect Donald Trump. And we need to be very clear about some of these third-party candidacies. I think RFK Jr. is different. I think he's speaking at CPAC. He's talking about MAGA stuff. I think in the end he takes votes away from Trump, not Biden. Um, but I think a third party with a Democrat on it could be difficult, and that's why I've been so critical of these stupid efforts. You know, when people want to play around with American politics, we could actually get rid of democracy in the middle of this. So I think we need to be very, very careful about what we do. This is about democracy. Exactly. We don't want democracy. Multiple candidates and multiple choices on ballots. That's the worst. How about make it make this great democracy? Let's make one candidate. Then the democracy will be fantastic. Josh Crosshairow is with us now. He's a Fox News uh, a political analyst, editor in chief of Jewish Insider and Axios. Uh, Josh, welcome back. Your thoughts about Jim Messina, a Democratic strategist, got Obama elected twice, weighing in on the fear of a third party. Yeah, well, uh, Jim Messina has been some, something of a broken record. He, he's, he's a partisan. He's going to say that the Democrats are panicking unnecessarily. But the reality is that this is nothing like uh, Obama's uh, reelection campaign in 2011, 20, you know, the run-up to 2012. Uh, first of all, Obama's uh, base support was much stronger. Uh, the perception of the economy is actually worse now if you look at the data head-to-head. And Obama, you know, I think most importantly, was a, was a fundamentally a very charismatic and talented politician who could drive home a message. And the worry about Biden, and you see this in every poll, is about his age and his ability to really, like, you know, even even drive home a, a message or a soundbite or get 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 some right. um, relief for voters who, um, you know, look. I think age is an issue in and of itself, but it's also an issue when it comes to not being able to do a press conference and, and really inspire um, his supporters, not being able to really articulate what, what the argument is effectively uh, from whether it's an interview or a press conference or any, any kind of public communication. So, I mean, the notion that this is the same as 2011, 2012, and then, you know, the third party stuff that, that you play the sound bites of, Brian, 
I mean, there, there are a lot of candidates. I actually think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Is, is as much a threat to Biden as he is to Trump, because when you look at the polling, there are a lot of Hispanic and African-American uh, non-white voters who actually are intrigued by the Robert F. Kennedy candidacy. And that's a, a dynamic to look at in some of these individual states. So, you know, look, the, between the third party factor, uh, the, the you know, Obama's political talent compared to, to Biden's and the age factor, I just think we're talking apples to oranges and, and anything. Uh, and there, there should be a lot of bedwetting going on in Democratic circles because the polling is unequivocal, is consistent and, and pretty clear in that Biden's in a whole lot of trouble. And the Democratic Party has a lot of challenges ahead in 2024. Your opinion, Josh, you know how um, we used to hear certain elements of Bush 41's administration to try to send a message to Bush 43. And we would say uh, Scowcroft would not be saying that if 41 was upset by it, but it was his way to communicate almost to his son about policy. I'm wondering, would Axelrod be coming out against Biden if Obama didn't feel the same way? And you tell me I'm wrong, but you just know these players better than I do. Well, what I can tell you, Brian, is that there are a lot of very smart Democratic political professionals that I talk to, that a lot of folks talk to, who privately at least are very, very nervous, that are that are very concerned about the state of play politically, that are worried that you know Biden, you know, as far as the age factor, that that's not going to get any better or any easier. To, to handle as we get closer to 2024. Um, and look, you know, I, I think anyone who thinks that replacing Biden on the ticket is going to be some magic uh, salvo, is, is, they're also mistaken. In fact, uh, the Fox poll uh, that, that, that you guys did this week, which was really fascinating, you know, it showed Trump beating every Democrat um, in, 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 including Gavin Newsom, including Gavin Newsom, including yeah, Gretchen I mean, Whitmer. So this is not, not, it goes beyond Biden. I, I think a lot of it, are related to issues where the Democratic Party has been pulled to the left on, on some issues. They, they've not been able to have a, a strong message on the economy. So there, there are things that are beyond Biden. But Biden is, is down in the Fox poll by four points, and there are a lot of, if you look under the hood, a lot of, lot of challenging uh, realities that, that the party is facing with him as a nominee. So, uh, Josh, I, I'll bring you to that right now. Fox News poll. Uh, issues the GOP handles better than Democrats. Border security, plus 24 National security plus 20, terrorism plus 18, inflation plus 12, foreign policy plus 12, crime plus uh, 12, and government spending plus 11. Now, uh, extremely concerned, I find this, Democrats are extremely concerned, 88% on guns, uh, 85% political divisions, 84% inflation, and then abortion is there another one of their concerns. For Republicans, personal rights Higher crime, this is 82 and 82, and political divisions number three. The war in Israel is the fifth. Attacks by Islamic extremists, the sixth. Gun laws, the seventh. Now, they're, they're more fearful, Republicans, of having it taken away. You know, gun laws increased as opposed to, but guns are up there. So that's the, the focus. But every time I look at polls like this, not this severe, in comes an election like that off-year election in Virginia and Kentucky, and, and the Republicans don't do well. They didn't do well in the midterms. You know, they didn't do well in the off-year election. So I'm wondering, even if this is accurate, when it comes down to it, does abortion rule the day? Well, I think abortion is one of the strongest issues for Democrats. We saw that in the off-year election. We saw that in the midterms. Uh, Democrats will turn out 
um, to protect abortion rights. And, and that is has an impact, especially when you don't have the same degree, Brian, of, of presidential-level turnout you see every four years. I think the worry, though, is for Democrats is that um, look, a lot of the people who don't don't show up for lo- local elections or off-year elections that do show up for presidential elections are most concerned about the, the economy. Uh, they're, they're concerned about the you know they may not pay attention to the news every day, but they're worried about the the, the perception that the world is in chaos. Uh, these are not in, good indicators for the incumbent for, for President Biden. So you're going to see a much larger pool of voters in the in a presidential election that are not necessarily as active politically that may not be voting on abortion or democracy in January 6th another big issue into the Trump factor and many of them just are having trouble making ends meet they're not politically engaged but they're frustrated they're disillusioned and they're not likely to vote if you're feeling if you're feeling lousy you're not likely to vote for the incumbent party and that's the risk for democrats so they're doing well in these local elections because the democratic base and a lot of the most attuned voters are, are now yeah, now democrats they've actually gotten some of the most high propensity voters in the country since Trump was elected president. Uh, but when you have sort of the Trump surge, we saw this in 2016, you had this Trump surge uh, lineup of voters who showed up, who don't vote in every election, but they're frustrated and they're willing to vote uh, for Donald Trump and against the, and certainly against Joe Biden. Um, so that's the worry for, 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 for the White House. It's a different dynamic in a local and presidential election. It's just amazing. They already called uh... – Trump, Hitler, three times in five days. I'm like, wait a second, guys. Shouldn't you wait for the Hitler comments until October? I mean, we're going to be so numb to it. You could play. Don't don't play your hand. Um, so, Josh, I want you to hear what Joe Biden said about Gavin Newsom out in the APEC summit after meeting with the Chinese president. Listen, two years ago, when the United States offered to host this summit, we knew we needed a location dynamic and diverse, and as APEC itself. And they pick uh, in San Francisco. Here we are. I want to talk about Governor Newsom. I want to thank him. He's been one hell of a governor, man. <laughs> Matter of fact, he could do anything you want. He could have the job I'm looking for. Kind of weird. I mean, he said it a couple of times. I mean, what is that? Just is he just in the at the point in his life where he just says everything that's on his mind? Well, I guess when you get to a certain age, sometimes you don't have the same filter that you might have otherwise. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, that that was a hell of a comment. Um, you know, I don't know if that <laughs> that's exactly what everyone else is thinking. But, look, the reality, the reality is, like, even let's say let's say Democrats wanted Gavin Newsom, you know, he's the best nominee in their mind, and they wanted to figure out a way. The, 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 the logistics of trying to get from point A to point B. I mean, first of all, you have a vice president who who is just as unpopular, if you believe the polls, as, as President Biden, and not more so, more so, and Kamala Harris. So she she would be the heir apparent if somehow Biden wanted to hand the baton over. Uh, and and then there are, you know, there's a lot of other Democrats out there that that also have very very large public profiles. I do think Newsom. Um, it, it is like a very, very uh, fascinating political figure who governs one of the biggest states in the country and, uh, you know, and, and certainly is getting attention. He's, I see him all over TV. Uh, I'm sure the president does, too. But the, the notion that Biden could kind of hand the baton to anyone, uh, it would be, if, there's, if there's anyone that he kind of endorsed or, succeed, you know, anointed as a successor in, in that kind of fantasy scenario, it, w- it would most likely be the vice president. That He's kind of left himself with little choice in that, in that, in that regard. Right. I just, yeah, I don't know. Listen, Josh, I'm open to the fact that I've never seen anything like this from the multiple candidates that are going to be on the ballot, probably to the trials that are going to uh, challenge Trump to the fact that you have a candidate that nobody in his own party wants. 
And then you have a vice president that who's a minority in a party that prides itself on that, who's going to be pushed out if they feel they're going to lose. I mean, that's the fear they have of losing this power. We might get up one day and just hear that, you know, Kamala Harris has agreed to be secretary of state or interior for Gavin Newsom, or she's going to step aside for personal reasons. I'm not sure. I know she's a favorite of Barack Obama. I know they're butt, they're tight. But I, I know I don't know. But I want you to hear, I, I just got to salute the Republicans. They really don't want to be in the majority in the House. And every time I think that they do, uh, people make statements like this. Listen to Chip Roy. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. If I'm a Democrat, I go, thank you very much. I could, I'll take that whole thing. Thank you. I'll, I'll pay for the rights to that. And that is my ad. I'll just say this is paid for by Chip Roy. I mean, what are they thinking? Well, uh, they're not thinking. I mean, look, I, I think there's, there's a point he's making. There's, there's a point he's making, which is that the Republicans have much more glued together by what they're against, Joe Biden, progressivism, wokeism, you know, all that yeah. stuff, rather mm-hmm. than what, what they're for. They can't agree. And there's a, we've talked about this before a lot, Brian. There's, there's, that, yeah, there's almost as much division between sort of the, the, the MAGA wing of the party and the traditional wing of the party as there is between some, some Republicans and Democrats. And so this is a divide that's not going to be papered over easily. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe the presidential election will kind of keep the glue together for another year. But it, it's, it's a very, very major schism taking place in the party. And you see this on on the House. Well, yeah, even how many fights were taking place this week? Argument, you know, Kevin McCarthy and one of the Republicans who uh, <laughs> voted against him, Tim Burchett, were, were fighting, you know, basically elbowing each other, chasing each other. I mean, it's just, just nonsense that you're seeing on a daily basis. Um, look, I think that is going to really uh, hurt the Republican Party's ability to hold their majority and to hold that narrow majority next year. Um, I mean, the only, I mean, ironically, they actually may need Donald Trump to do well. They may, they may need to ride Donald Trump's coattails potentially in a presidential election to have any chance of holding that majority because on their own, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, but th- 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 at the same time, the, the, you know, you see the left on the Democratic Party having, you know, you, you, this is the age of extremes, right, Brian? You had riots or violent protests by anti-Israel activists this week at the Democratic National Committee. And we just had a story up uh, where, where Debbie Dingell, a very, very liberal Democrat, said she, she was more, felt more threatened than January 6th uh, at these anti-Israel protests that were blocking the DNC headquarters this week. So, you know, neither party seems to want to appeal to the middle, appeal to the moderate voters that really decide elections, decide who has the majority come next year. Um, and that's going to be the big test looking forward on both sides. So if you're Nikki Haley, uh, you're going for the kill against uh, Ron DeSantis first. Is that pretty clear to you? The money she's putting in, she's trying to run them dry in South Carolina and New Hampshire because he knows he's all in in Iowa. Uh, and he's trying to, she's trying to say, I have a long game. Can you visualize things tightening up if it's just Haley and just Trump? Well, look, I, I think she has the inside track as, as the runner-up, right? She's got the silver medal, I think, in, in sight. 
the challenge is how do you how do you get past Trump because Trump still has a very significant advantage. Look, I think the playbook is pretty yeah. obvious, right, Brian? She she does well in Iowa. Maybe finishes ahead of DeSantis or or a close a close you know second or close third, I guess, in Iowa, which is a state that DeSantis has prioritized. And then she's doing very well in New Hampshire. She's already in second place. Maybe she uses that momentum to come close to Trump in New Hampshire, which is a moderate-minded electorate. And then South Carolina is her home state, so she could maybe make a surprise showing there. Um, look, she's she's still faces a lot of hurdles one-on-one against Trump. But she more than DeSantis, she actually has a playbook. It was a, a, a very logical theory of the case where she overperforms in Iowa, does really well in New Hampshire, and, and then you know showcases her, her strengths in her home state of South Carolina to make this a true one-on-one contest by Super Tuesday. And by the way, Brian, Super Tuesday is coinciding with the, the trial, the, the, the likely trial that Trump's going to be facing uh, on, on the January 6th charges in Washington, D.C. So, look, I, it, it, it's kind of a bank shot scenario for Haley, but you're right. She has the money. She's got the momentum, and she's the most electable and most you know, broadly appealing candidate right now uh, among the Trump alternatives. Listen, uh, people listening at home should understand. We understand polls are a snapshot and you could be displayed, but they do show trends. She beats Joe Biden by more than any other candidate. And in a Fox poll, I think it was 12 points. I mean, it looks like I've never – that is a huge advantage. So I think DeSantis has a five-point advantage, Trump a four, and her 11. That, that's fa- – I find it fascinating. Josh, we can go on for hours. It is a fascinating time, some of it for the wrong reasons, but all of it consequential at a time in which America could really use a great leader, not a great Democrat or Republican, just a great leader. And you and I are not available. We have full-time jobs. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, When we come back, I'll take some of your calls and read some of your emails. I also want to go over the document case that the Wall Street Journal has of Joe Biden. You're not going to believe what we're about to find out. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. They should have all gotten the same treatment. None of them should have been indicted. Uh, this is a statute that is never applied to former presidents who take documents a home with them, unless, and it's never happened in history, they have shown them or sold them to the foreign uh, enemies. You must have a single standard of justice. And the single standard of justice doesn't say that we have to indict uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. It says you cannot indict and prosecute Donald Trump. That is Alan Dershowitz. Uh, he always makes it clear he's not going to vote for Trump, but he thinks that Trump has done more uh, has done more for Israel than anybody else. But he was just commenting on the fact that the Wall Street Journal has this story that uh, Biden will not is not expected to face criminal charges for his mishandling the classified documents. They did an eleventh month investigation, almost zero. I think zero leaks. I think we got word that he was the president was being interviewed over the course of two days in Washington. That was it. And that's the way it should be done. I don't criticize Robert Hur for that. But there's not an interview that happened with Jack Smith that we don't hear about. Remember all the leaked from the Mueller report and the investigation that was a sham? So now Robert Hur's team is crafting a report and a months-long probe. I'm reading right from the article. And is expected to charge, uh, isn't expected to charge anyone for the matter. Hur is expected to release a lengthy report in the next couple of months, potentially before the end of the year. The outcome is far from surprising. It will uh, the to say the longstanding policy against indicting a sitting president. 
It will undermine the capacity for the executive branch to do their job. Prosecutors investigating why the classified documents ended up in President's home and former uh, in his office. is preparing a report that expected to sharply be critical of how he and his aides handled the material. But the probe isn't likely to do much else. Those are the old days. Shouldn't have taken that. Give it back. Shouldn't have taken that. Let's put him in jail. The latter is Trump. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks for listening to us all week long. It's Brian Kilmeade and the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much going on. I don't even think it's bad or good if it's just consequential. Consequential things going on in politics. You have people punching people in the kidneys this week. Uh, a UFC fighter turned senator from Oklahoma who was willing to call out a guy that was uh, cowardly enough to uh, tweet at him. He called out the Teamster president. And they were literally going to throw down unless it was Bernie Sanders breaking them up. And we also know that James Comer was called out by some... Uh, some clown from Staten Island who was saying that he uh, also, like Joe, Joe Biden, got a loan from his brother, made no sense. Democrats are desperately trying to stop the investigation of Joe Biden because it's getting closer and closer by mocking Comer. So this has been one of the craziest weeks ever. The tension is extremely high. People are worried about what's happening over in Israel, concerned about Ukraine, and notice that China has come to San Francisco. So we have a lot to discuss, and, and we'll do it all today. So it makes me wonder if we should, in fact, do the big three. Let's do it. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They should have all gotten the same treatment. None of them should have been indicted. Uh, this is a statute that is never applied to former presidents who take documents home with them unless they have shown them or sold them to the foreign uh, enemies. Alan Dershowitz making it clear, nothing to see here. Joe Biden about to get a rebuke and a reprieve from any charges over his classified documents case. I want to get the details. Robert Hur kept an airtight ship. No leaks. No leaks at all over the course of 10 months. Let's find out what else there is. And if James Comer wants to find out what documents were actually there and does it aid his investigation. Number two. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. Uh, These ridiculous influencers with 12 million followers putting out Bin Laden's Letter to America as if it's some great doctrine to help put down our country and prop up the evil terrorist who subscribes to Sharia law. It is crazy. We have the details. Number one. Exactly why there should be assault rifles located next to an MRI machine uh, escapes me. And this is compelling evidence of the fact that Hamas embeds itself in civilian infrastructure of one kind or another. Israel at war. America attacked again while the uh, IDF sends out videos of tunnels and brings in reporters to show what their objective is and why they're going after some targets that aren't normally targeted in a war. Let's bring in Shannon Bream, Fox News Sunday's own. Shannon, you got a big roster of guests, don't you? I do. I mean, I'm just trying to keep up with you. That's the game every well, week. Well, uh, I think you lap me every week, and I think you should prove <laughs> to America once again how you did it. 
Well, listen, I watch your show. I take a lot of notes. And then I use that with a guest we have booked this weekend. It's Democratic Senator Chris Coons. He's on the Senate Foreign Policy um, Relations Committee. Senate Foreign Relations. I'm going to spit it out. Committee. Uh, And so we got a lot to talk about. The Middle East, Iran, China, TikTok, all of this garbage, uh, and the funding fight that's coming over some of that military aid. And Amtrak. And and his Amtrak. Talk, yes, we need to talk about the Amtrak situation too. Um, you're not safe anywhere in Washington. Uh, they can find you if you're on the Amtrak. They're going to find you. Um, just ask President Biden. He knows because he is a charter member of Amtrak. Um, and also, we've got Sen- um, former Secretary of State Pompeo with us because you know you've covered this. We keep covering this State Department, other big federal agencies. You've got all of these employees coming forward saying we don't agree with the president's policies. Um, okay, if they're supposed to be carrying them out and, and you know enforcing them. Those kinds of things. I mean, how do you manage a State Department that doesn't agree with the White House? So we'll talk to Secretary Pompeo about that stuff. You know, I'm a little angry at you. Why? Because I tried to book Secretary of State Pompeo. You did? And he said, I would normally say yes, but I've already committed to Shannon Bream. And you're like, who? And I said, my enemy? My (laughs) long-term rival? I I think, to be fair, frenemy is closer to the description. That's true. That's By the true. way, you're hanging out in Nashville having a good old time, partying down. I've seen yes. what's going on there. I don't think yes. you're too worried about any of this stuff. I am very worried about our country, but feel mm-hmm. good that there's a lot of patriotic people left. Uh, Amen. So, the, so those are great guests. Uh, those are great guests. Who's on your panel? Oh, my gosh. Would you ask me about the panel? Hold on, and I'm going to tell you. Carl Rove, I know, is with us. I want to make sure I get all of these names right and don't leave anybody out. Juan Williams. Uh, Tiffany Smiley, remember her, ran for Senate uh, out in Washington State. Josh Krashauer is with us, too. So some brainiacs. I like to class up the joint right. with some really good panelists. I understand. So let, let's talk uh Let's talk about these documents. If the Wall Street Journal report is true, and it seems to be, that Robert Hur has concluded his investigation. Mm-hmm. He's going to write up a report, but it's going to show that no criminal charges to anybody but uh, a rebuke. Now, remember how tough James Comey's was on Hillary Clinton. It brought him a lot of uh, discredit and credit, depending on where you were. People were like, as bad as that sounds, there is no indictment. I'm wondering if Robert Hur is going to do something similar. Is he going to come out and say – this is inexcusable. This was warned. If we didn't find this, we got to go. And when we checked the house, we found all these. Out. We don't know anything. So that could help neutralize any outrage that Jack Smith might conjure up when it comes to Mar-a-Lago documents, number one. And number two, Shannon, you live in Washington. Mm-hmm. I just can't get over how one investigation gives you a leak a day for a year and a half, and the other one goes nine months with zero leaks. If her writes this report, there's been no indication of the direction it's going to go except for that story, and it didn't seem like a story. It seemed like we hear it's done. Mm-hmm. Can you make I mean, sense of that? It's interesting how that happens because you are exactly right. There are other things that are happening all the time. Think of all the leaks that we have had on another case. You mentioned Mar-a-Lago. Think about that. We've heard things all along. Remember early on people were saying, oh, there were documents about Iran or the nuclear programs or whatever. I mean, we were hearing stuff all the time that was coming out leaking. And you're right. The her thing has been really quiet. We just haven't heard much about it. So if Wall Street Journal is correct, it is going to be, I understand, sharply critical of the Biden administration and aides and people who handled those documents like you guys really messed this up. 
But I don't think there's going to be any legal liability. And you know the the Trump camp is going to say, like, this is double standard. This is There are significant differences in the cases. But, you know, if the bottom line is, did you have and mishandled classified documents, you know, I mean, you can say that that actually happened with President Biden and his team, but elect not to prosecute it. Right. And listen, I didn't think a sitting president was going to get prosecuted. But I also didn't think a former president would do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is, you know, with, did he have a folder out? Did he, did, where did he keep them? I don't know. I don't love by the stage at Mar-a-Lago, but I also mm-hmm. don't love the Corvette. So, and, and bottom line is, you know what I think that the rebuke should be? On archives. To me, when you have your presidency, Shannon, and it comes to an end after two terms, it should not, should not be up to you what, art, what paperwork you take. I think you should request certain things. You know you're going to do a library. You know you're going to do a book. You know certain things mean a lot to you. Request it. You should mm-hmm. not be able to box up what you want and put it on a chopper and then be jailed for taking it. Well, I mean, it creates all kinds of problems, clearly, because we know that almost every former president has had some point where they've had to work with the National Archives and say, like, oh, yeah, maybe we have some stuff that shouldn't be here. I mean, that's not super uncommon. You know what the administration is going to say, what the DOJ is going to say here, not the administration, because they want to stay out of it. But the DOJ is going to say, yeah, but we spent a year trying to negotiate with President Trump to get all that stuff back. They've made allegations that it wasn't just a misunderstanding over documents. Their allegations are that there were coordinated efforts with employees, with legal teams to deceive the FBI about what they had, to potentially move and hide things. So, you know, there are a lot of people involved that make this a different situation. I hear you. We'll see what the truth is. I also know this, that I've never seen, I don't remember attorneys flipping, maybe I think with mob, I think that they tried to get Bruce Cutler when he was representing John Gotti. They tried to put charges on him to get him to flip on Gotti. I have seen more lawyers turn on Trump and accept deals than probably will ever mm-hmm. see in my lifetime. How many? Five within Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, one in the Mar-a-Lago case. And can mm-hmm. you imagine saying, you know, listen, uh, to your jo- you think you're having a private conversation with a lawyer. Next thing you know, the lawyer is, is talking to the defense or the prosecution. Yeah, and that's really tricky because to Pierce. You know, client uh, attorney-client privilege is a very big deal. But if they can argue that your attorney has been involved or been a party to in some way some criminal activity or helping you carry out criminal activity, um, that's a different case. And they've made a lot of those allegations. So you're right. Georgia, a lot of those folks have had plea deals now. Um, and down in Mar-a-Lago, you've got employees who have flipped and, and – you know, a lot of people who would know a lot about what happened with these documents, um, that when the rubber meets the road, these people do not have the same financial resources that President Trump does. So for yeah. them to mount a defense could actually wipe them out or send them into bankruptcy. And um, they have some really hard decisions to make about their own lives and their families, too. So, Bin Laden, can you and I agree, bad guy? Absolutely. And if you lived through 9-11, then you have no doubts about that. Or coal bombing, the embassy bombing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could say coal bar towers, too. So mm-hmm. anything, this guy just made it his, his life mission uh, to kill as many Americans as possible. Others along the way. And now his, his papers get published. His letter to America is published in The Guardian, quickly taken down, but not before he's on social media sites. Twitter took it down. I think Facebook did, too. But TikTok left it up until recently. 
mm-hmm. at which time influencers accelerated it. Uh, 12 million was one. The other one had 10 million. And listen to some of the videos after they read it, which talks about America being satanic, satanic for supporting Israel and started the AIDS epidemic and other things. This still is what they said about it. Cut 16. So I just read a letter to America, and I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never. I Please read it, and if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment, because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. She's going through a crisis after reading <laughs> Bin Laden's doctrine. Do you believe this? And to think that she's got 12 million followers will probably get more from this? How do you wrap your head around that? I, it's tough. Because to be so unmoored from a concept of good and evil or any kind of core principles that in 20 minutes a letter from a terrorist could make you hate your own country, or it seems like that's where she's going, that is shocking, and everybody needs to wake up. Because she, along with anybody else who's looking at these videos, has to remember this guy would kill you in a heartbeat as a woman. Forget it. You're not going to be able to show your face, much less vote or own a car or property or travel by yourself or make any freaking decision or get an education in your life. So I just I don't understand where that disconnect part of it is. I can understand having questions about your country. No country is perfect. Ours is not. But if in 20 minutes a terrorist who would absolutely wipe you out and in which you would be treated as a piece of property in his worldview can turn you against your own country, I'm scared for the youth of America. But keep in mind what they're being taught, K through 12 and, and, and higher ed. A lot of them aren't even being taught about 9-11, the reality of what it was and who this guy was. We got to wake up, Shannon. I'm I'm awake, but we should all understand that this is not slowing down uh, between the Palestinian situation, the 1619 project, uh, the pushback on campuses, even from the pushback uh, for the anti-Semitism. They're doubling and tripling down now, and this is all younger people, which logic tells you is the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't stay around forever. Um, we can't, even though we wish we could. Well, I know the world Probably wishes not. Brian Kilme would stick around, so don't go anywhere. Right, and they just haven't put it in writing. Uh, we love, we hope to see that someday. Shannon, I wish you all the luck on Fox News Sunday, but first you're going to be watching? Saturday night, One Nation, with Brian Kilme. 9 o'clock. See go there. get him, Shannon. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You want the truth? One word. It's a mess. I never thought that we fought so hard during World War II to find a country in a condition that it is today. But let me assure, let me assure all of you, every time this country ever got into a problem, 
they solved it. So regardless of what's going on now, we will break this badness and get back to the good. And that is a, a veteran of World War II, one of the few remaining. I think we only got about uh, 120,000 left. And he was talking last night after he got his award at the Patriot Awards. His name is Andy Negra. He's 99. And he just talked about he was fantastic, by the way. He could just goes to show you when we talk about President Biden, I'm not talking about his age. It's, it's how, how he's acting. And this guy, Andy Negra, would do a better job as president than President uh, Biden right now. Uh, only 125,000 of, of these World War II veterans are alive. He thinks he's going to be the last one standing. He was married for 71 years, but talked about how he was in the invasion of D-Day and how much it meant to him. And he looks around the country right now, and he sees a total lack of appreciation and understanding of our past, of World War II, who fought in it. But he's still optimistic about it, uh, about the country. So these are important qualities to bring up because a lot of people are getting a little, I don't know, worried about the direction. I'm worried because there's so many things that are bizarre. Did you ever think you'd be in a situation where Gen Zers think that bin Laden, uh, they ever think that bin Laden made a lot of sense? That's what we're hearing right now on TikTok. Do you ever think we'd be in a situation where it's kind of 60-40, whether we should support Israel with everything we got? Did anyone think we'd get to the point where anti-Semitism would be so random? In New York alone, it would be up 425%. Did you ever think we'd get to a point where a Palestinian group, not a Palestinian group, Palestinian supporters who never thought about Palestine before, by the way, or what could be Palestine if they didn't uh, blow up all the deals that were offered to them, never thought about before, but just see a way to go against the country, in my view. Everyone's probably getting paid. Ripping down pictures of hostages, of innocent people that were just taken out of their house, maybe after an arm was chopped off or a foot was lost, they still took them anyway, of an 80-year-old woman who was taken out of a wheelchair and taken hostage into the bowels of Gaza. They were replacing the pictures with pigs. you believe that? I mean, that, that's where we're at right now. There's so many things that are so bizarre. And yet people are so quick to condemn the way Israel is uh, persecuting this war. And I am so heartened by the fact that Israel is beginning to push back. And here's how. They're telling their reporters like Trey Yinks, why don't you come with us? We're going into Gaza. It's going to be tough. I'm going to do everything to protect your safety, but it's going to be some dicey situations. But I need you to see what we see. And then you report whatever you report. There are no restrictions except for a little thing on identity or things to that nature. But you have no restrictions. And they watch as they pull weapons out of MRIs. They watch as they see the whole basement's been militarized. They look as they find a tunnel underneath a boys' club. So we'll talk about it. By the way, I hope to see everybody uh, in Tennessee today. I'm going to be in Brentwood in a few hours. Go to BrianKillMead.com, Chattanooga, Tennessee, to tomorrow. Then over in Alabama, two separate stops, one of which is Montgomery. And then uh, I'll be able to sign your book, talk to you, take a picture. It's Teddy and Booker T. You will love it. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Robert Hur is a conservative. He was a law clerk to Chief Justice William Rehnquist. He was nominated to be U.S. Attorney in Maryland in 2017 by Donald Trump. So he's not some liberal or Joe Biden-leaning prosecutor. Second of all, there are differences between these cases based on the indictment that we've seen of Trump and Mar-a-Lago and based on what we've seen from the public reporting, starting with knowledge 
and intent. We'll see. But presumably, Robert Hur has found there was no evidence that Joe Biden had criminal knowledge and intent. Donald Trump has acknowledged publicly he knew he had those documents and he's alleged to have had criminal intent. Yeah, uh, they have a bunch of lawyers talking about things that have flipped on him. He has a bunch of documents. And what I think Eli Honig was trying to do as a CNN legal analyst was trying to say that Joe Biden's about to get exonerated. And instead of every Republican saying there's a dual path to justice, they're trying to say it's much worse doing what Trump did. I wonder what Jim Trustee thinks about that, uh, former attorney for President Trump and respected legal mind. Jim, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to talk to you. Well, I was wondering what you thought about the Wall Street Journal story that was about to exonerate but rebuke Joe Biden's handling of of uh, classified documents. We don't know the details. There's been almost no leaks there. So from what we know in the Wall Street Journal story, what's your takeaway compared to the case that you handled for President Trump? Well, it, look, from my perspective, it does feel like a, a two-tier justice system. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one is the starting point of any documents that Joe Biden had in Washington or in his garage in Delaware were ones that, that he never had a lawful right to take anywhere. You know, the starting point is President Trump was president when he came down to Mar-a-Lago. In fact, he landed early in the day. Boxes were moved into the House while he was actually uh, still president. So, Presidential Records Act affords him all sorts of immunity from my perspective. And it's just a very different situation in terms of security of the documents that were there. But Biden literally had to have taken stuff out of a skiff, you know, out of a secure facility. And that's why early into the, uh, the, the process of the Delaware investigation, even Dick Durbin, of all people, was saying it's just wrong. He shouldn't have been able to you know, even access these documents off campus, so to speak. So. You know, totally, we don't know what Rob Herr's report is going to say, but the fact that it's a report and not an indictment uh, tells me a lot that it's probably right, that it's going to have some some form of criticism, but not the ultimate criticism, which is an indictment. And I think there's, uh, I can't imagine, and this is a, probably a much longer conversation than you want right now, but I can't imagine that Rob's investigation in any way mirrors the intensity and the kind of unilateral rulemaking that took place in the Mar-a-Lago investigation. So here, here's more of the I, – I understand what you're saying, too. The other thing is, I mean, Joe, uh, Barack Obama has 40 million documents. Uh, George W. Bush has 30 million documents for the library, not for the library. I just can't believe, Jim. Did you ever take a step back or did you know it already? How, how – what a sham it is when presidents leave. They get to do whatever they want. <laughs> I'm talking about every president. I mean, didn't you think yeah. there would be, with all the forms there are in government, wouldn't you think they're like, hey, these, this is my request, let me know what I get. And then when you reject me, I'm going to apply again. Like, just like a normal system. Like, you wouldn't be yeah, able to leave with, with someone's medical records. No, you, you touch on a great issue. And this is really the overriding issue that you can draw a parallel between Trump, Biden, Pence, and, and God knows how many other politicians, certainly Obama, you know, with his thousands of classified documents sitting in a warehouse near a McDonald's in Illinois. So there's been problems with the management of these documents that goes back as long as we can tell. And that's really why they all should be being treated about the same, uh, because there's, there's a flaw in the system. And in fact, when we were involved in the case, when I was representing President Trump, we wrote a very lengthy letter, a very procedural kind of letter, 
to the House uh, Permanent uh, Intelligence Committee, basically talking about process, saying, look, the fix here is to not not to demonize President Trump out of politics or even to demonize Joe Biden out of politics, but to recognize the system is flawed. There's no real accountability on the back end of any administration. And that's why every time a box, this was admitted by an archives testifier in front of Comer's committee, every time they've received boxes in modern history from Reagan on at archives, they've found documents marked classified. It happens every time. So, yeah, again, there's different nuances and different facts that are associated with how Biden got his hands on them, the level of security, whether they were related right. to specific things that mattered to the Biden family. But uh, that's a common denominator that you've touched, touched on that I think is really true. The system needs an overhaul, not criminalization. Right. I mean, the thing is, too, of course, Trump could have made it easier on himself and his, and his legal team. Uh, Eli Honig went on to say this, though, when people brought up there's not they're not the same. Cut 29. Let's remember, Donald Trump is charged with obstruction of justice now, and the evidence set forth in the indictment is really quite overwhelming. In contrast, Joe Biden's team, they came forward with the documents. They were the ones who brought it to DOJ. So two very big, very crucial distinctions there. Do you want to take that on? Yeah, that's, that's the standard line that we've been hearing from day one. You know, when when Mar-a-Lago was eclipsed by what I like to call Car-a-Lago, the, the uh, Corvette the documents mm-hmm. in Delaware, you know, all of a sudden it's, well, there's a difference. Biden was incredibly cooperative, you know, decades later in turning over documents. And, and what we don't know from the outside is whether there was any semblance of a chain of custody, whether there was any, um, you know, any essential obstruction of any ability to prosecute done by the lawyers and the people that eventually turned these things over in Delaware. But look, the bottom line is, you know, Mr. Honig, this is true to form. He's been pretty consistent with his approach on this on, on the media. They all assume the obstruction is some powerful case against President Trump. And it's just not. It's a political fig leaf. It is and will always be the big argument for why why they're comfortable treating President Trump differently than then Vice President Biden. That, that's what they've always put their hook on. They have intimidated and squeezed witnesses beyond belief to try to come up with theories. They even try to suggest that you know, there were floods at Mar-a-Lago that were designed to wipe out emails. I mean, they, they came up with ludicrous things. And I think that they realized in their heart of hearts that even if they lose the obstruction count at trial in South Florida, that it will have served its political purpose. So I, I'm not going to prejudge that uh, that obstruction actually occurred. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that the media would call obstruction, which is actually typical in white-collar investigations, which is to challenge subpoenas, for instance. But, uh, but yeah, that's the big political hook that they're relying on. All right, we're talking to Jim Trustee just about the legal situation. The president's not getting hurt in the polls. We don't know how high he'd be if he wasn't indicted, but we know that he just widened his lead again in three separate polls. So President Trump is going to be looking at a, a full trial date. But, Jim, I don't know if you had a chance to look at this civil trial going on in New York. I think it's the most blatant sign of a, of a political prosecution I've ever seen in my life. And uh, the frustration, you know, the president from a as a client uh, in a client attorney relationship, he looks over the top angry that he's even in court talking about how many billions he's worth and making that a criminal offense. If it turns out the the worth was different as, as opposed to what Letitia James thought. So this yeah. thing is really has to be mind must be really disturbing if you're a rich person looking to invest in New York. 
It should be disturbing for any fair-minded American. I mean, honestly, this this whole thing, you know, you start with Letitia James, who runs for office as a prosecutor, saying, I'm going to target this man. I'm going to bring him down. That's just wrong. You know, and, and there's a lot of criticism of President Trump, you know, talking to the press outside of this never-ending civil trial. But Letitia James is giving running commentaries. I mean, these are blatantly unethical actions by a prosecutor. It's a case that was turned down by real prosecutors, ones that are not particularly shy to go after President Trump in Manhattan. They realized it was a no-loss loan app case, and no federal prosecutor touches a no-loss loan application case. It's a it's an academic exercise. So then you add into it the courtroom shenanigans of a judge who's clearly not particularly concerned about his record when it comes to looking biased, and uh, and a gag order that just got stayed by the higher court. You know, a gag order in a non-jury trial, which is nonsensical from the start. Uh, so I, I think that the civil case that we're seeing in New York just really bears so little resemblance to a normal American judicial proceeding that it's it's farcical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hopefully at some point it ends in a, in a way that recognizes what a farce it was and is do you are you confident from what you know of the president's former president's legal team yeah that's something you know look that that delves into the world of kind of kiss and tell you know as a former attorney uh, i would never get into that kind of game of saying is that a legal term kiss and tell <laughs> yeah, it's one I have been using, so I'm going to keep using it. Yeah, I just don't, I don't feel com- I don't feel comfortable doing the ratings game for uh, folks that I either worked with or that took my place after I left. So you know, it's 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 not particularly helpful to the public anyway, and it's certainly not something I would do to any former client. Well, the one thing I was wondering: would you ever? Was there any scenario we'd go back? Uh, I, I think it's highly improbable. I would have there would be some conditions that I don't think would fall into place. So, no, I'm I'm going right. to you know try to get out and work for my other clients and and get a little semblance of normalcy back in my life. <laughs> How dare you try to get normalcy <laughs> back in your life? Uh, I might even be Jim able to Chelsea, always great day, to hear Brian. from you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you. we'll see. I, I did talk to you last time, and you were, you were going on vacation. And then I talked to you again. You said, I'm going on another vacation. I guess the first one didn't work. So how long did it take you to decompress? Uh, it's still a work in progress. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I have some tiny semblance of a social life again, which is fantastic. It's just that, you know, it, it, it's still not much even at its best. So, anyway, thanks for asking, <laughs> and thanks for having me on, Brian. Good talking to you. Go, go get him, Jim. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up the hour. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show from the Patriot Awards, where just hours ago – We uh, recognize some extraordinary Americans. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Tuskegee in particular becomes a place where politicians want to go. McKinley, Grover Cleveland, William Howard Taft, and of course, Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. What does that mean? Here you have this, a black male born into slavery who grows to a level where he becomes an advisor to three presidents. The man was a genius. He was able to prove that the American dream is actually possible. That's what really catapulted him into the national stage because he said, if we work together, We can have our differences. I recognize you have a difference, and I recognize I have a difference. But progress 
is mutual. The revolutionary message was first heard at the 1895 Cotton States and International Exposition in Atlanta. Looking to not only advance his institute, but the perception of his race, Booker T. Washington became the first African-American male to address a crowd as diverse as his country. And just a little bit about these two and what they did for the country at a time in which the country needed to be moved forward. We always had the right leaders at the right time. We're waiting for them now. Maybe they're out in our midst. Maybe we're about to see them. But we had them back then. I talked about it with uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Prior to that, uh, Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, both lives overlap in a very unique way. And I brought it to life in Fox Nation, shot for over a year. And I think you'll love it if you go see it. And supposedly, eventually, going to be on our, our channel now that the wars calm down. But today, at 3 o'clock, I'll be in Brentwood, Tennessee. Then I'm going to Chattanooga, Tennessee tomorrow at noon. Then Madison, Alabama at 6. Montgomery, Alabama at 2 on the 19th. Then it's home. Settle things down. And then I'll be in Bayshore, New York on Long Island. My only Long Island appearance. Sign of books at Barnes & Noble at 4 o'clock on November 25th. So, And then I'll be in the Little Point Bookshop on the 29th. And December 1st, I'll be in Missouri. Eureka, Missouri. Uh, which would be great. Then over to the Bush Library on the second, on the third, Page and Pallet in Fairhope, Alabama, one of the coolest uh, little towns uh, you probably have not seen, but should. Dayton, Ohio on the eighth, Lexington, Kentucky on the ninth. It's going to be a busy few weeks, and I hope to see all of you individually at some point on the road. Meanwhile, uh, and we're going to ma- I'll mention a little bit more. Uh, you'll see a little bit more on One Nation coming up on One Nation this weekend. Amongst our great guests, we're going to have um, we're going to have Dan Aykroyd of SNL fame. You're going to love his message. He's so funny. And we saw some of that uh, when actually uh, Weekend Update was humorous. We played some of those clips. We'll play some of those clips and you'll like it. Uh, We're also going to speak to Mitch Albom. His book is great and sadly appropriate. It takes place with the Holocaust. And, of course, we know what we witnessed on the 7th of this month. And then we're also going to be talking about this bin Laden situation and I, I with Ayanna Hirsi Ali, a former Muslim who had a fatwa put on her, has turned Christian. She's going to be joining us to put in perspective why the Hamas doctrine could be resonating and, believe it or not, bin Laden's words with Americans, which I find scary. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't even say scary. Scary is ridiculous. Scary is like a timid word. I would say shocking. How about that? Ayanna Hirsi Ali. With Martha yesterday, you know, she's out with the Hoover Institute. She's had a remarkable story, knows exactly the enemy we're up against and what drives them. And, and we asked about the TikTok story and why it seems to be resonating. Bin Laden's words seem to be resonating now with young Americans. Cut 20. I am uh, surprised. Um, I'm shocked. I'm disgusted like everyone else. Um, but not at the kids, not at the 25-year-old, um, 20-year-old TikTok users. Um, it's our education system. It's our media system. If you look at what happened in the last 20 years, it's the rise and rise of the woke mind virus. And what does the woke mind virus do? It propagates that America is a place built on slavery. It's about exploitation. It goes to other countries and it kills and it enslaves and it exploits and all of these things. So she knows, she's experienced, uh, cut 21 is more. The letter is essentially, it has the structure of a fatwa. Mm-hmm. 
um, I've had a fatwa against me, so I know what it reads like, and I also come, I have that background. It is, it sums up all of these things that bin Laden accuses America of doing, but essentially what he's saying is he's applying Sharia law, and based on his understanding of Sharia law, America should, um, among others, stop supporting Israel, stop all of these policies that he blames them for, but essentially America should accept Sharia law or no, no peace. So these kids on TikTok don't have that context because we didn't give it to them. So do you understand how unappetizing and anti-American Sharia law is? Do you know that it is the most ridiculous, sexist religion you could possibly subscribe to? And America, if Americans ever asked, do you want a, any mainstream religion or do you want to subscribe to Sharia law? What woman says, you know, I'm tired of wearing clothes and being educated. I'd love to wear a burqa, cut out the eyes and just stay in the house unless my dad or my brother or my, uh, my husband that was assigned to me says so. I'd love to stop working in a career that fulfills me. I would love to stay behind closed doors and service visitors and strangers. These are the influencers that are actually saying Bin Laden's words are so wise. This is really unnerving. I hate my country even more. Listen, if this is you and you want these things, we can give you a list of countries where Sharia law is already up and running. You don't have to massage around the edges and hope to convince us. Go live that life. But leave our life alone. You could put every letter you want on every social media platform out there. The from Bin Laden. And he will not win me over. Nor anybody I know. Sadly, it, if it does you, we're all doomed. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.